Welcome to the Readerly Report. Your hosts are Gail Weiswasser and Nicole Bonilla. We hope you enjoy our candid book conversations, recommendations, and observations on the reading life. Thanks so much for joining us. Welcome to another edition of the Readerly Report. Today, Gail and I are going to be taking a look back at the first half of 2021 and just check in on what we've been reading, if our goals have changed, a few superlatives, and I guess setting the tone for the next six months. I feel like 2021 has just flown by. When I think about January, sitting at home, watching Capitol riots happen on TV or whatever, it just seems like that was so far away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's kind of hard to believe that 2021 is here, that it's half over. I don't know. These last two years have been something. Yeah. And I think also just like the pace of change over the last like two months has really increased. I mean, you and I are both back in the office. Life has gotten a lot more busy than it was this time last year, which is wonderful, but it has also just, I think, accelerated things. Whereas last year went so slowly, this year is just going really fast. That's true. Last year seemed like... Interminable. Right. It just seemed never ending. So yeah, you're right. How has that been? I mean, I know right now I feel like I'm trying to get my bearings at the beginning of June. Like prior to June, I had not been in the office. I'd only been in the office two days since we left. You know, since March 13th, we all started working from home and it was kind of like, oh, you'll probably do this for a couple of weeks while we figure this out and we'll be back. And of course that turned into 14 months. Yeah. So then in May, I knew that they were going to be asking us to come back, you know, vaccinated employees to come back. And I think unvaccinated employees have come back too, but with restrictions. And so I was in the office in May for a couple of days just to kind of do a test run, get the feel of things. And I'm so glad I did because I just feel like First of all, it was a moment frozen in time. We were laughing because some of the papers that were on my desk were kind of yellowed and curled. Like <laughs> It was just like stepping back in time and just getting everything set up and running and getting used to working in an office. It, was, it definitely took me a couple of days to adjust. And then, so I'm in the office a couple of days, two days a week. How about you? I'm up to like four days every week. Really supposed to be five, but... I kind of managed to have a reason once a week that I need to be at home. You know, someone's coming to fix something or someone needs a ride somewhere and I just need to work from home. I don't know. I like having that one day just to still be home. No, I mean, I'm like back. Yeah, you're like back, back. Yeah. Has that changed anything with your reading? I guess I feel like I have less time to read and I'm, you know, I'm sort of like more tired at night and it just, I feel like my reading has slowed down maybe a little bit, but I'm actually not too far off the pace I want it to be for the year. And we can get into that in terms of like stats and stuff. But yeah, I don't know. Last year, once like the kind of disorientation of the whole thing, you know, went away, I think I I read a fair amount more than I usually do just because I don't know, like I would go outside at five and read for a little bit. Whereas now I'm like commuting home and dealing with all that again. Yeah, it's definitely not been like the best for reading. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I do get that. Being hybrid presents its own set of issues. I feel like I'm more tired because of the two days that I'm in the office. Even though they're not consecutive, I feel like I look up and where has the week gone? There were some things that we were kind of working around when we were working from home. So there is a bit of catch up in the office. So I feel like those two nights I end up staying later 
then I planned and then I come, you know, like Wednesday is my middle day and I'm home and it just seems like it flies. So it has impacted my reading. I'm expecting that that will probably, as you say, it'll even out or straighten out. I'm not too far off of the goals that I had set for myself this year either. All right, well, let's jump into that. So where are you for the year? So right now it says that I have read 43 books this year. Nice. Yeah. I had set like a measured goal. I didn't want to read as much as I have read in past years, but I feel like last year I did not read a lot. So my goal is to read 96 books by the end of the year. And that works out to about eight books a year, eight books a week, eight books a month. <laughs> uh huh. So I'm a little behind right now, but I think that's just because there's a few things that I'm going to finish like really quickly because I have been kind of going back and forth, like trying to match my mood in terms of reading something. It's almost like a false number. Like this week, I'll probably finish three things. And it's because I'm almost finished something on audio and I'm almost finished with Jhumpa Lahiri's book, which I really recommend. I think you'll really like it, Gail. Oh, good. Okay. It's one of those books so that you kind of read slowly, even though it does not have much plot and it's about this woman's life. I find like each of the chapters are so rich and it's just one of those books that I've been taking my time with. I'm really intrigued by that one. All right. So let's go back more to our normal format. And why don't you tell us what you're reading right now? So I have a major book hangover right now. I read my first five-star book of the year. I think I mentioned that on our last show, The Nine Lives of Rose Napolitano by Donna Freitas. I'm not sure how to pronounce her last name. And I just have been like casting around for a book ever since. Like it's one of those where I keep starting, you know, I keep picking one up and putting it down. I can't like settle into something. So I think I finally did. I actually picked up Jennifer Wiener's That Summer, which is her 2021 book. And, you know, now I'm like 25, 30 pages into it. And I think it's going to stick. You know, that feeling where you're sometimes just surrounded by books and you just can't commit to any of them. I started that one in print and then I just started on audio, um, Malibu Rising. Yeah. Kind of giving into the hype on that one. Yeah. Doing it audio this time. Yeah. Had you heard a lot of good things about the audio? What made you decide to do audio instead of print? I had. It's Julia Whalen. And so I had heard good things and I don't know, it just like it, it came up and you know me, I'm such a mood reader and I just was in the mood. I just finished a book on audio called The Happiest Girl in the World, which was about gymnastics. And it's kind of a stressful read. Like it was (laughs) kind of negative and stressful, probably like, you know, stressful, like being a gymnast is. And I don't know, I needed something that would be engrossing. But light. But light. Yeah. So I don't know, that just seemed like a good pick. And I like Julia Whalen and I had gotten the audio, I think on Libro FM, actually, it was like one of their sample downloads of the month maybe this month or last. So it was just sitting right there in my Libro.fm app. So I did it. Okay. So you're not really that far in. No, just started it. So I'm kind of at a crossroads. I have been reading Stacey Abrams' book. I think I started it on Kindle. And then I just got the book because you know how I am with Kindle. Like I forget, (laughs) wander away. You know, I feel like it's good for what it is. There is a lot of detail. Like Uh, The book is about this young court clerk who is given the power attorney by the judge that she clerks for after he either attempts to commit suicide or someone is trying to kill him because there is a big decision that's going to be coming before the court. And it seems like he knows something about this and has 
some way that he wants it to work. And it is involving like these two genetics companies and the president is trying to stop this merger from coming through, maybe because it affects his business interests or for some reason he does not want this to go through. And it seems like maybe the judge does. He's a chess player. So there is some end game that he's trying to achieve. And of course, everyone is really surprised that he would give his young clerk power of attorney over him while he's in his coma. Like his ex-wife is really pissed. His son is pissed off and suspicious. Like the government is now looking into her to see if there's any type of impropriety or any kind of way they can make her give up her power of attorney. And because they have ulterior motives too. And then it plays out against like these two genetics companies. One has bought the other and they are trying to make some kind of drug. So she really gets into the science aspect of it. I want to say it's more like a spy novel. It's not anything that I typically read. So I will say that it's not like I don't think it's well written or anything. It's just kind of not my cup of tea. So I'm about halfway through. I kind of want to just power through just to see what's going to happen and how it's going to end. And I was thinking about maybe switching to audio for it. Like maybe that would be a little bit easier. Do you think it's hard sometimes when you started a book in print to then pick up the audio? I think it depends on what kind of book it is. I mean, this kind of book, I think that it's something that I probably would have liked better on audio anyway. Right. But just like you get to know the voices. Like I, sometimes I feel like when I go back and forth between the two, I have to have started it on audio because otherwise like it's, I don't know those voices. <laughs> I was about to say, is it a little jarring? Yeah, it's jarring. It feels like disorienting. And then I'm like, wait, who is this again? Like, but it's one thing if you've done it on audio and then you go to the print because then you can hear that audio in the back of your mind as you're reading. I think it's sometimes hard to go the other direction. Yeah, I haven't quite committed yet. It's kind of bottlenecked my reading a little bit because I'm trying to make a decision on that. That's a great word. (laughs) Another one, I think this is what slowed my reading too, is The Radium Girls I've been reading by Kate Moore. And it is the story of these women who used to work in watch factories painting the dials of watches and they use radium paint in order to do it because it was like glow in the dark and everyone was super into radium at the time. And it was like this wonder element that they had discovered that could do no wrong. But it turned out that these women were getting radium poisoning. And when I tell you, like it is so gruesome, we're talking about bones disintegrating in people's mouths, like oozing sores. I just can't get through. There are a lot of women. I think the author is really trying to give you a sample of the women's lives and kind of set up what they live like and how this affected them. She's not totally successful in doing that. She covers two different plants that the women worked at and they're just kind of so many of them. And some of her descriptions of them and their relationships, it'll be like, oh, she met Fred and he was tall and blonde, so they got married. And (laughs) some of it is really shallow. I think she's able to flesh out more about their lives later on through the letters that they're writing surrounding this case. Because of course, When they find out this is happening, the company is trying to deny liability and to minimize liability. So to their benefit in terms of not letting these girls get access to funds and to medical care. And meanwhile, they don't know what to do for this. You know, they're getting surgeries, which are making things worse, which are making like the poison spread faster. And just what they were suffering is so gruesome that I'm finding it hard to finish. Yeah. 
I can see why you're not jumping right back into it. Right. You know, I know that they were eventually successful and this case, these lawsuits affected a lot of, I guess, worker protections that are benefiting us now, but it's just tough. And the girls do kind of run together. She posted her notes for this book and it was interesting to read because it's just like you get to see her intentions for this book. And I had read this with a friend, so we did talk about a lot of it. And she thought that the girls were not as distinguished. They were like girls, young women. A lot of them were teenagers when they started. A lot died when they were very young, like 21, somewhere 21 to 24. And Unfortunately, I feel like the scientists and the men and the doctors who saw them are kind of much more memorable and distinguishable. I don't know if it kind of speaks to the time that really there was not a lot that women were doing at that point outside of the family. I mean, they were working. I don't know, but for whatever reason, it seems like the men were just more fully distinguishable and painted. And the women, even though that was not her intention, come across as a little bit generic. So we'll see. I think I'm going to put it aside for now, maybe those two for now, and kind of just try to get through a couple other things and then come back and make a decision. Yeah. You have to give into the mood. If you go, if you try to resist the mood, then I feel like you said to bottlenecks. You just kind of drift back and forth and indecision. It's like, I'd rather be reading something else. I should finish this. Yeah. That's definitely where I was like up until a couple of days ago. I kind of lost like three days of June on just indecision. (laughs) But it happens. Well, it's so hard. I mean, when you say that you read your first five-star book, I mean, it's just so crucial for just both the reading experience because either you have to choose something that is completely different and that you're not tempted to compare. It like has to just kind of be a different reading experience. Or you have to find something that if you're still in the mood for something like that, like if that book has left you in that mood to explore a similar theme or a similar type of mood or feeling in a book, you have to get something that's going to almost match it, you know? Right. Well, hopefully I've, I'm over the hump on that one. Well, you did give your days, yourself three days of kind of morning palate cleansing morning. <laughs> yes, exactly. So do you think you would ever read that book again, The Nine Lives of Rose Napolitano, since it was so good? I don't know. Yeah, I'm not like dying to jump into it again. Well, part of the fun of it was watching how these lives unfolded. So the premise of this book, I think I mentioned it on the last show, but I'll just say it again real quickly. The premise of the book is that you've got a couple who got married and at the time they got married, they were in agreement that neither one of them wanted to have kids. And then the husband over time has changed his mind and he's wanting to have children. And so the book opens with a fight between the two of them where she has not been taking her prenatal vitamins and he finds the vitamins and he says, Rose, I thought we talked about this. You know, you were going to be open to the idea of having kids and you're not taking your vitamins. And so this fight repeats itself in nine of Rose's lives. And it's kind of the anchor that kicks off the directions in which these lives can go. And in those nine lives, a different resolution happens from in each one. You know, in one, they maybe she acquiesces and says, okay, I'll try, I'll keep taking the vitamins. In one, she pushes back. And then, you know, from there, there's more splintering. When she pushes back, do they stay together? Do they not stay together? When she says yes, does she get pregnant? Does she not get pregnant? So there's like, you know, kind of these decision trees that happen. And in the end, there are nine different permutations and nine results that happen. 
And part of the fun of the book or the compelling, you know, what gets you really engrossed is you don't know where these lives are going to go and what's the resolution on all of them. So to read it again, you would have prior knowledge of knowing where they went. So I think you could read it again. It would just be a very different experience. You'd be reading to like pick up details that you didn't notice the first time, as opposed to sort of like breathlessly trying to see, okay, well, where does this chapter going to go and what's happening? So it just would be a different type of experience, but I really liked it. I mean, I've been like recommending this to everyone and everyone's like, oh, I'll re- I'll pick this up now. Thanks. Adding it to my list. And now I'm <laughs> kind of panicky. Like, I hope everyone likes it as much as I did, but I just, I don't know. It really worked for me. I read it really fast because I just had a hard time putting it down. And I, I just thought her take on relationships and marriage and women and motherhood, I thought it was all very good. Her lack of motherhood. And it really has stayed with me since I finished it. This kind of reminds me a little bit of The Midnight Library. It's about this woman who has decided that she wants to die and she goes back. She is stuck in this library where she takes down different endings or different books based on decisions that she's made and allows her access to live that life and see what it's like. And the minute that she experiences any kind of disappointment with that life, she's brought back to the library to then choose again. But of course, the library is getting a little bit temperamental and rickety and seems like it's going to be falling apart. So she has to make a decision pretty quickly about which life she wants to stick with. You're not the first person to make that parallel. Like somebody, I posted my review on Facebook and someone else posted, have you read The Midnight Library? It sounds really similar. This one sounds like it would be better just because you're vested in something particular. I think in that book, in The Midnight Library, there are many avenues that have caused her disappointment. It's almost like trying to cauterize different kinds of wounds. You know, you go to one life and you feel like, oh, if I had made this decision, it might have been better. But she's exploring a bunch of different things. I really like the idea of this one being about this marriage. You know, as you talk about this, I think I had kind of forgotten that this was a book that we mentioned in one of our preview shows and I wanted to read it. So you're putting it back on my radar. Oh, good. Who can resist a five-star read? Yeah. There's another book that I bought recently that also has kind of a similar premise. It's by Lionel Shriver and it's called Should We Stay or Should We Go? And it is about, I guess, a couple who in their 50s decides that they are going to kill themselves when they turn 80. Like they don't want to deal with all the infirmities of old age, you know, potential Alzheimer's or cancer or whatever, you know, might afflict them when they turn 80. So they've decided that when they turn 80, they're just going to end it together and they're not going to have to, they're going to sort of save themselves all the hassle. But then they turn 80 Well, and so what happens is they play out a whole bunch of scenarios as well. It's sort of like sliding doors again, where in one scenario they do it or one scenario they don't or something like that. But you get to sort of see all these different lives play out. And would that have been the right decision or would it not have been the right decision? Apparently it's not as heavy and depressing as it sounds. Apparently there's a lot of humor in it and it's funny. I've listened to a talk that she gave about this book and I actually went out and bought it, which you know I don't do very often. I went to the bookstore and bought this book. So that's on my list too, but I decided that sounded too similar to Nine Lives that I couldn't read it right afterwards. So I'll get to it this summer, but it seems to be like a a trendy theme right now. All right. So... Should we jump into our discussion on the year so far? So Gail has already told us about her five-star book. So that must be your best this year. 
Yeah. I mean, for not to have a five-star book until the you know middle of the year is kind of rare. There's been a lot of books I've liked quite a bit. Just been nothing that I've been like in the middle of and thought, oh, I just, I want to shout this book from the rooftops. I've had a bunch of four-star books and a couple standouts, but nothing, I'd say overall, it hasn't been like a, you know, a, a, a lot of highs this year. I've had lots of three and a halfs and lots of fours. I had one, two. Ooh, <laughs> I know which one that is. You know which one that is. Overall, you know, I guess like it, for an average of a three and a half to four, that's not bad. One of my five-star books would be Valentine by Elizabeth Wetmore. I thought that was so well done. And I would say that in my literary fiction category, I feel like I've had a lot of fours and four and a halves or just books that were really interesting and, and intriguing. But yeah, I would agree that I don't think I've read a lot of books where it's just like, oh my God, you have to read this. Maybe Too Good to Be True by Corolla Lovering. But that's just like such a different experience because you just get sucked into this relationship. You want to see what happens. It has that drama. I think she writes really well. And, you know, that was a book that it took me a little time to read because I just kept coming back to it. I did that one on audio. It was very good on audio. The Anatomy of Desire by L.R. Dorn, I also really liked. What was the resolution that you always make? Oh, to just kind of read what I want? Right. Yeah, no, I've been doing that. I feel like I've been pretty good with the exception of book club, book club both for this show and book club for my in real life book club. You know, I didn't make a lot of commitments to like reviews or I haven't felt like I've been doing a lot of obligation reading. So I've done a lot of mood reading, which that's, that always makes me happy. And, you know, for the most part, I think that has steered me well because I haven't gotten into too many situations like this week where I was casting around. I guess I would say for my highlights, I really liked my Dark Vanessa. That certainly ranks up there pretty high. I liked Other People's Children which is one that I read in the spring and Rose Napolitano for sure. And What Comes After, which I've talked about on the show quite a bit. I'm doing well with my sweet spot of like kind of domestic family drama. I've also done well with nonfiction memoirs. So Good Morning Monster, A Very Punchable Face, the Suleika Juad book, Why Am I Blinking? Between Two Kingdoms. So memoirs have been doing me well this year. This year, I read a lot of thrillers, a lot more than I normally would. Why do you think that is? Yeah, I still think that I'm in that transitional point of just everything, you know, just not feeling completely comfortable and needing something that is really compelling to hold my attention to sit and read something. That fits the bill. So I think with a thriller, like I've done, I'm reading some literary fiction. Like I read The Plot by Jean Korolitz. She wrote at Mission, which was turned into that movie, You Should Have Known, which was the Hugh Grant, Nicole Kidman, set on HBO series, The Undoing. So I just read her book and that was really good. And I want, my friend is reading that, we're reading it together. So I can't wait to discuss that with her because it's interesting. I mean, the plot is all about writers and writing and how people get their ideas and what are the consequences from where you get your ideas from. I actually think that's a good book club book because there's so many different ways I think that people can feel about like this guy in the book takes a story that he heard that one of his students had told him the plot of his book was. And when he finds out that the guy has died and died shortly after they were at this workshop together, he goes on and he writes that story and he feels some guilt about it. 
But he also makes the point that, you know, any writer would take this plot. It's not like he has written the entire book. So it's not like he is stealing anyone's writing, but it's where this idea generated. And of course, he experiences like this massive success with this book. It's going to be made into a movie by Steven Spielberg. Oprah has had him on the show. And then he starts getting these little notes saying, you know, we know you stole this story. I really like that one in terms of, I think, things that are more literary fiction. But I have read a lot of thrillers, like Last Thing He Told Me, Never Have I Ever, by Jocelyn Jackson, When You Find Me, by P.J. Vernon. The Anatomy of Desire was a little bit of thriller. Everything has like a kind of propulsive element to it that is can you solve the puzzle? Like, did they do this? Or who was doing this? Or why did someone do this? So anything that was like strongly motivated, had a strongly motivated plot in those terms, I've just been very drawn to just in terms of wanting to read books that are engrossive and speculating on some like real life element, but without it being too heavy. I actually just read my first book that talks about COVID, which I thought was interesting. So it's that book, Happiest Girl in the World, which I just talked about. So this is the book that is a fictionalized, but very heavily dependent on real life facts book about being a gymnast. So in the book, she's training for the Olympics. She's training for 2016. Then she's training for 2020. And it's weird because the, the main character is fictional. She doesn't exist. Her name's Sarah Wheeler. But yet there are gymnasts mentioned that are real life gymnasts, Allie Raisman, Simone Biles, Gabby Douglas. And then there are these people, they have different names, but they're meant to be like the Bella Caroli and the Dr. Larry Nasser. So like their names are changed. So you have these, like you have both fictional characters, real life characters, and then these quasi, you know, people in the middle. But anyway, she's training for the 2020 Olympics. And in the last 15 pages of the book, COVID hits and she can't train and the Olympics gets postponed and she has to train at home. And I just was wondering like, when did she write this book? Because when did it come out? Like it was a 2021 book. So it must've come out in the last couple of months. And she does get to the 2021 Olympics in the book or the 2021 Olympics happen in the book. So clearly there was some speculation at the time the book was published about whether the Olympics were going to go on or not. Because I don't think that it was anyone knew for sure the Olympics were going to happen this year until in the last month, you know, until recently. So I'm just curious, like, was this a slapdash ending that the author and her editor and publisher sort of quickly put on there last fall when they knew they had to do something? I don't know. It just, it was very strange to be reading about something so current. Did it feel slapdash? That whole part happened pretty quickly. So yes, maybe it did feel a little slapdash. Although I don't know what more she could have written. Like if she's training in her house and she's on quarantine at home, there's not a whole lot to say. She's not interacting with her coach. She's not interacting with other gymnasts. She's not doing anything plot worthy. So, I mean, maybe that's the way it would have been anyway, but it just seemed strange. And I was, you know, I found myself sort of flipping to the front of the book to figure out when was this book published? There's a bunch of author's notes at the end of the book that I haven't read yet that I'm going to do before I write my review. So maybe she addresses it in there. You know, maybe there's a question about how did you decide to incorporate COVID into the book? which is a book of fiction. So she could have avoided it. I don't know. It was just interesting. I wonder if it was like a final round of edits thing and she had an idea. Yeah. Or she just felt like she needed to put it in some sort of context because there is a lot of facts grounding the book. 
I was just going to say just as far as like my goals. So I think I had wanted to read 70 books this year and I'm at 32. So I'm like in striking distance. I'm a little behind, but not, you know, nothing awful. Yeah. You have a couple of days in June to finish something because 35 would get you to halfway. Plus you'll probably meet more on a vacation. On a vacation, right. And I could, you know, just pick some strategically short books as we've often discussed. I'm behind though on some other things. So out of that 32, 10 of those is nonfiction, which is for me, that's pretty high. But I've read eight male authors and I guess then 34 female. I feel like that's pretty high too. Oh, you think for me? I guess maybe for me, that's not that low. Four of them have been repeat authors and only five have been BIPOC authors. So that is definitely an area that I want to increase in the second half, because my goal was to boost that number and I I haven't yet. Yes, one five-star, one two-star, the rest have been somewhere in between there. And then as far as my reading challenge, I haven't actually checked that in a little while, but I think I only have maybe four or five categories left. And I don't think that they're going to be terribly hard. Although one of them is the book and TV pairing. So that one, I got to make sure I leave enough time for that. Do you have anything in mind? I guess I could do the undoing. No, I got to figure that out. I have pick a book, any book. So that's easy. A genre I don't usually read. That won't be too hard. A book recommended by my best friend. I think I might be the plot because she just read that and really liked it. Book and movie pairing and the book by an author I love. So that could be the Lionel Shriver right there. Book movie, that'll be the most challenging of that category. And that's it. And then I'll have finished that challenge. So I think things are on pace. I just figured out that The Dry came out, which is Jane Harper wrote that book that I read and I liked, and Eric Bana is playing the detective in it. So I want to hunt that down. I think it actually went to movie theaters. So I might rent that to watch it. It is about this detective or he's a detective in Australia who goes back to a province where he grows up because a murder has happened. I think he gets involved in the investigation. And she went on and she wrote a second book that featured him And then she wrote a standalone, which I have on audio. I didn't think I could do the narrator for the audio book. So I did get the book because I did like her writing. And it was more on the literary side, like more examining his past. You know, it is about solving and figuring out who committed the crime or why it happened. But it was just much more to about his life and growing up in that particular part of Australia, why he left home and hasn't been back to visit. I feel like I've seen that author, but I don't know what she's written. I think The Survivors is her standalone that just came out this year. The two novels that featured the detective, Aaron Falk, are The Dry and Force of Nature. And I guess, did she have another standalone? Looks like she had another standalone, The Lost Man. So I really like The Dry. So I always meant to get back and read that second one in the series and to read these other books. Maybe Survivors will be one of my summer reads. Do you have any other summer books that you've had your eye on that you want to get hold of this summer to read? Yes. Layla Slimini has just come out with a new book or it will be coming out soon. And I think it's a little bit autobiographical. I mentioned it in one of the preview shows. It's about this couple who marry. He is a Moor, I want to say. Her mom was French and her dad, I think, was from North Africa somewhere. So in this novel, it is about this couple who marry each other and then they go to live in his town and 
It's about the difficulties of raising children there, the difficulty that the wife experiences in terms of settling in. So I want to read that one. And that's out this summer. And I also got the author, The Silent Patient, Alex Michelides. He wrote a new book, which I just got into the house. His last one was about this woman who shoots her husband in the face five times while she goes to a mental institution as part of what happens in her trial and she doesn't speak. So it's all about trying to, like this new psychiatrist goes and starts working there and he really wants to help this woman like start speaking again, start living more of a full life and figure out what happened then. This one that he has that's come out is called The Maidens. And it is about this woman, Mariana, who's a student at a university and she is a group therapist. So therapy is an action or is part of the driving plot or the driving action behind the plot in each of his books. So she's a group therapist and she becomes fixated when someone is in their circle is found murdered and she's convinced that she knows who it is. So she becomes obsessed with saying that this one guy has committed the murder. So I want to read that. Do you have any? There's a book that I keep seeing reviews of called The Paper Palace by Miranda Cowley Heller. And this seems like it's like a beach house, middle age book that sounds really good. I've read a number of people who really liked it. A story of summer secrets, love and lies in the course of a singular day. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> I don't like singular day books, but in the course of a singular day on Cape Cod, one woman must make a life-changing decision that has been brewing for decades. I don't like one 24-hour books. And you know what else is a 24-hour book is Malibu Rising. Oh, is it? Yeah. But it has lots of flashbacks, I think. Yeah. If there's enough flashbacks, I feel like I can handle. But if it's just in real time, then I don't like it. How many, is? are there any that you have liked that take place in a day? I know this is kind of an on-the-spot question. The only one that's jumping to mind immediately is the book Saturday by Ian McEwen. That one was okay. Didn't atonement take place in one day with lots of flashbacks? No, no. Atonement took place over, it was actually an old woman looking back on her life. Okay. Yeah, back to things that happened in her childhood. Let me see. I'm looking up Saturday right now on my blog to see if that's the one that was every, that took place in one day. Uh, Yes, takes place over one day. I said I found it was frustratingly inconsistent. But I think that what did what bothered me was not anything to do with the one day thing. It was more just like the character. I don't know. Maybe my distaste for that type of book is overdone. Like maybe there was like one or two that I didn't like and then I doomed the entire thing and that was dramatic. Yeah. So Paper Palace, I really want to read. And then the Lionel Shriver, I really want to read. I'm trying to think if there was other stuff that I've seen. I mean, there's definitely books I've seen around on Bookstagram that look intriguing that I've been giving the eye as I've watched people review them. But I don't know. I'm curious to know what is coming out this fall, like what blockbusters are going to be coming out that I'm sure that will be shiny object syndrome for us. Well, a little later in the summer, I would say a couple of months from now, now we will have dug up all the shiny objects to present. Yes. All right. Well, anything else you want to add for the first half of the year? Just briefly in recap, my top five of 2021 so far is Valentine by Elizabeth Wetmore, The Plot by Jean Korolitz, Indelicacy by Amina Kane. And that was the one that I said is basically not about too much. It's about this woman who starts off as a house cleaner and she marries this rich man and just kind of like how her life changes 
and what conclusions and decisions she comes to as a result of her new experiences and new life. I really like that. The Talented Mrs. Farwell by Emily Tetreault Gray and The Anatomy of Desire by L.R. Dorn. Like, I think I've discussed these all at some point on the show. And I will say that the most interesting book that I read was Quit Like a Woman, The Radical Choice to Not Drink in a Culture Obsessed with Alcohol. I read that while I was doing my own break from alcohol and reevaluating things. She has some interesting things to say. I do think that she's just so extreme in her not using alcohol. I can say not drinking, but her reasons, I guess her arguments are so extreme, but it was such an interesting book to read. I'll say that my top five are Good Morning Monster by Catherine Gildner, which is actually the first book I read of the year. My Dark Vanessa by Kate Elizabeth Russell. Other People's Children by R.J. Hoffman, What Comes After by Joanne Tompkins, and The Nine Lives of Rose Napolitano. So we take a note of these lists, bookmark this post so that when we compare at the end of the year, we'll see if what made our top five is shifted any, if any of these summer books that we're looking forward to have bumped any of these down. I don't know. I think it would be really hard to unseat Valentine by Elizabeth Wetmore. Like I'm looking to see what she comes out with next. You're making me want to pick that one up. I started it. I think I mentioned this. I started it when I got it. And for some reason I put it down and there was really no reason why I put it down because I liked it. It was just circumstance, I guess. Mm -hmm. It's also a heavy book. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it was just a poor timing or something, but I've always wanted to go back to it. So you're definitely helping push me in that direction. Yeah. You too with Rose Napolitano. Good. I'm glad. So I had also been working on my pop sugar challenge. I don't think we'll have enough time to give us, for me to give an update, but I have been making progress on that. And I feel like when I go and look at my page for your challenge, Gail, I will have made some progress on that. I just started reading this book called Madam, and I have to read for the pop sugar challenge, a dark academia book. And I'm just realizing that this one will fit the bill. So that's kind of exciting. It's by Phoebe Wynn and it's about this woman, this young woman who gets to teach at this prestigious boarding school. And she's like the only time that they have replaced a teacher, like everyone has been there for decades and is really old. So she goes to teach classics and she's only 26. And I think she is going to get involved in like, what are the circumstances surrounding what happened, that there was even an opening at the school, like what happened to her predecessor. So it says it's a darkly feminist tale pitched against a haunting backdrop. So that might fit the bill there. And it's something I just started reading. So of course, I guess we're both hoping to continue to read good stuff and to dive into the books that are coming out over the summer and fall. Yeah. So on that note, happy reading. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Readerly Report. You can find all of our shows on iTunes or at thereaderlyreport.com. Please join our Facebook group, Readerly Report Readers, where you can talk to other listeners about their reading life. You can also find Nicole at nicolebonia.com and me, Gail, at everydayiwritethebookblog.com. Finally, we'd love it if you left us a review on iTunes and told your book-loving friends about us. Thanks. Thanks.